So we have two readings this evening. Um, quick public service announcement to please take the Bibles from behind you rather than in front so people in the front can get theirs as well. Um, the first reading is 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. And that's on page 1153 of the Church Bible. So I'll give you a second to get there. That's 1153. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And our second reading is um, a handful of pages back in Romans. And it's Romans 12, verse 10. And that's on page 1139. So that's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, If you are a visitor today or this is your first time, my name is Timo. Um, I work here at St. Michael's. Uh, I usually lead worship over there, but tonight I get to preach, which is exciting. Um, I was already told by one person tonight that they must really be scraping the barrel. (laughs) But I will do my very best. Um, Great, we are in the last part of our little sermon series on commitment. Uh, About three weeks ago, we started with uh, commitment phobia. Why do we struggle with commitment in general? And then we looked at, the week after that, God in Christ being committed to us. The week after that, then us being committed to God. And tonight, we're looking at, well, one another, literally. We are looking at one another in the way that we are seated here. Um, I wonder whether you find it awkward 
Um, it's quite unusual. Maybe you think, oh, this is more like what we do just before church or like just, bef- just after church, but surely this is not how we should do church. Maybe some of you are thinking that. If you find this awkward, I thought I'd help you with a little game. I'm sure this will make you feel a lot less awkward. That's right. Don't worry. You can stay seated where you are, and it's literally going to take 10 seconds. So in a moment, I'm going to count down from 10, and you have to see how many eye contacts you can make. Yes? Okay. By the way, if you're a visitor here, you have my full permission to just stare at the floor. Okay? That's okay. And if you're thinking, what are these people doing? They are so weird. Sorry. Um, All right, so I'm going to count down and see how many eye contacts you can make looking around the room. Here we go. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Stop. All right, who's done more than five? Oh, wow, well done. More than eight. Sam, okay. Has anyone done 10? Sort of. Get in there. Between 8 and 10. All right, well done. Um, I'm sure you wonder, like, what was the point of that game? There wasn't one. There there was no point to that game. No uh, big theological point behind that. Basically, uh, our hope tonight was that this change of perspective can give us maybe a uh, a new idea of what the church is meant to be. And so as we look at commitment from this horizontal level today... I want to talk a little bit about the church. Let me give you just a brief overview of where the next 25 minutes or so are going to head. I've got four little sections which you can follow along on your handouts if you have one. So uh, the four sections are committed to what, what are we actually talking about, uh, and then why commitment, how commitment, and lastly, the joy of commitment. Let me just pray as as we start. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears tonight to the truth of what it means to be your people, your church, and show us how we can love one another more effectively. Help me to speak according to your truth and enable us to listen and to be attentive to your spirit. We want to say, have your way, Holy Spirit, we are here for you. Say what you want to say. Amen. Amen. Great. So, committed to what? What is it that we are actually talking about? Because let's be honest, some people get it completely wrong. Sometimes I see people wandering around St. Michael's, looking at the big church and taking pictures of it. Because for some people that come straight from the coach station, the building is quite an attraction. But I always want to say, this is not the church. And it doesn't make sense, because yes, it is the church. But what I want to say is come along on a Sunday, meet some people, get involved, and that is the church. And so one thing that we can say that the church is not, and we all know this here, it's obvious, the church is not a building. Easy. So then we might say, okay, I get it. It's about people. Our sermon title gives it away already. It's about people. And so maybe it's more like a social club, maybe like your local gym. You can meet people, make new friends. Maybe even meet your partner, your spouse, and you can get real help when you're in need. I wonder if you have ever heard people say, oh, I know St. Michael's Chester Square. They do some great stuff. They do the ark. They do the light party. They do some nice things in the community. But yet, it would be a tragedy if that's all that we're being reduced to, right? Yes, we do things in the community, and it's closer to the truth, but it's still not everything that we're about. 
No, church is about God, it's for God, we pray, we connect with him, we sing to him. And so another thing we can say that the church is not, it's not a social club. So that's the second thing. Now maybe to you all of that is very clear and you wonder, what, what do you want to say? Well, I want to take it one step further because there's another thing that the church is not. And I think it's going to bring us a little bit closer to the whole topic of commitment. Let me ask you this, why did you come here tonight? I wonder. I wonder because right now you could also be lying on your sofa at home listening to a sermon by someone who's much better than me or in fact Guy or Charles. Or you could be out and about with your headphones listening to the latest worship music. Anything that's much better than what we do here hurts me to say that. But you could be doing that, yes? You have all of those options and yet you chose to show up here tonight. Now, we live in an age of consumerism, and sadly, that can also make its way into our churches. Personalization, expressing and satisfying yourself as an individual. It's all about me, my needs. But here's the point. Church is not about consuming, just consuming. The church is not a vending machine just there to fill my needs. If it would be, then why commit? You could just... Pick whatever you want from wherever you want it. So it's not just a building. It's not just a social club. It's not a vending machine. What is it? Well, our two readings this evening help us to see the church as the body of Christ. Sounds very theological, deep. We're going to unpack that a little bit. I want to first look at uh, the reading from Corinthians, the, the first reading, in order to address the question of why Why should we be committed to one another? And then secondly, I want to look at the Romans reading, our second reading, in order to address questions of how. How can we do this? What does it look like? Does that sound okay with everybody? Are you with me? Great. Let's do it. So why commitment? The famous poet John Donne starts a poem like this. Maybe you can finish the sentence. No man is an island. Wow, well done. That was new to me, but you're obviously all British. (laughs) No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent. I am sure we would all agree that humans are hardwired for relationship, for connection. We can't thrive in isolation. Quite the opposite. And we see at the beginning of creation... How God addresses this. In Genesis 2.18, God says, It's not good for man to be alone. We are made as team players. We are made in the image of a God who himself is the team of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as team players, we are made to join a team. And so from the beginning of that divine human relationship, there were the people of God. Faith was never meant to be lived isolated for yourself, just as an individual. There were always the people of God, first as a tribe, a family, then as a nation, and now as the global spiritual family called the church. And this is the context that our two passages are written into. Paul is writing to churches. Now the word church we get from the Greek word ecclesia, which really just means assembly or those called by God. And so let's try for a moment to put aside our preformed idea of 
the church as an institution with its popes and politics, properties. But let's go back to just a bunch of people meeting at someone's house. And this bunch of people called the early church was really unheard of. Suddenly there were slaves worshipping alongside free people, Jews worshipping alongside Gentiles, and men worshipping alongside women. Because in this new movement, which Jesus started, all the social walls and hierarchies that up until this point had divided society so much had been done away with. We read in the book of Acts how God's Holy Spirit, His very self, was given to all. Take, for example, the account of Peter at Cornelius' house. While he was still speaking, it says, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jews and Gentiles. So the categories of who's in and who's out completely turned on its head. So the churches which Paul was writing to were a mixed bunch. And now it's to these people that Paul writes this. Look at verse 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Paul uses this brilliant metaphor here to make the point about how despite their differences and everything that separates them, they are suddenly now a part of a new entity, something that is unified, a body, a body made up of different parts. And this is an image which we also find in other letters that Paul wrote. We find it in his letter to the church in Rome, in Ephesus, in Colossae. The church is a body. He was really strong on that. And what the Corinthians really needed to hear um, is found in, in verses 15 to 18. The fact that their diversity is actually a good thing, and it's necessary to function as a body. And the temptation was then and remains now that it's much easier to split up into little fragments where no one disagrees with you, where everyone is just the same. The commentator Gordon Fee suggests that the Corinthian problem was to mistake unity for uniformity. But Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Don't split up into your little fractions. We are one body made up of different parts. But are we just any random body, any unity? No. Paul says we are the body of Christ, verse 27. And as Paul unpacks this more in his other letters, we see that this means some, something like we, we, we see that it anchors our identity our mission and our allegiance to Jesus. I'll say that one more time. What it means to be the body of Christ is that it anchors our identity and our mission and our allegiance to Jesus. In other words, his mission is now our mission and his ministry, which he started, is now our ministry to continue, the ministry of reconciliation. It also means that Jesus is the Lord of the church. In Colossians 1, Paul makes it clear that Christ is the head of the body. He is the leader. Now, when talking about the body of Christ, Paul links this very closely with the common spirit that was given to us. The Holy Spirit acts um, like the glue that keeps us together, the glue that holds the body together. I'm going to read verse 13 again. For we were all baptized by one spirit, 
so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now in the book of Acts we read that the Holy Spirit launched the church. But not just at the very beginning, but it also then continued to empower the church. Holy Spirit didn't just say, well, here is some, a, a deposit and I'll see how you get on. But ju- so just as the Spirit is vital in the ongoing discipleship of the individual Christian, it was also vital in the life of the church. And I think this is what Paul is getting at here. He uses the image of drinking. We were all given the same Spirit to drink. Now, he obviously doesn't mean whiskey or other spirits like that, but God's Holy Spirit. The commentator Garland writes this. The point is that the Spirit saturates the church body and all Christians are imbued with the same Spirit. It occurs at their conversion when they confess Jesus as Lord and are placed by the Spirit in Christ's body, in which they become interdependent limbs and organs. So, to wrap up my second point here of how we should be committed to one another, let me try to draw these different strands together. We are made as team players. We're called to join a team. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be part of his body, the church. And the unity of that body is not based on anything that we achieve or do, but it's based on the Holy Spirit that we were given. And so maybe some of you here are asking tonight, well, why do I have to be committed to a church and all the weird people that make up the church? Why do I have to do it? Well, I believe Paul would be asking this in return. What are you drinking? What is it that you are drinking? Because if you are truly drinking from the same spirit that was given by Jesus to the church, then you are a member of the body. And that means you belong And you are also needed. You are no longer independent, but interdependent. You need us, and we need you. We really do need you. In fact, in Romans 12, 5, Paul even goes as far as saying that each member belongs to all the others. So, moving on then to how we do this commitment. Maybe you say, okay, I get this, this fine, kind of makes sense, but what does it look like in practice? How do we do this? Well, to start with, we must really understand the why, (laughs) what I've just said, that we are a body. Has this really sunk in with us? I believe we find a good test in verse 26. Um, We're still in, in Corinthians 12. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you suffered for the sole reason of someone else in the church suffering? Or when was the last time that I or that you rejoiced for the sole reason of someone else in the church having a great victory, a great success, a breakthrough? And I don't mean just saying, oh, good for you. Don't you hate that when you hear that sometimes? Oh, good for you. (laughs) No, but good for us. Good for us, the body. Good for us. Do we really understand ourselves as part of the body? Has it sunk in? I think that's the first step. Now, let's look at our second reading, Romans 12, verse 10. It's rather short. It's just that one verse, but it's no less profound. I'll read it to you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Now, obviously, for regular churchgoers, this is nothing new for us. We know we are called to love one another, obviously. And that should also be what gives us a way to others. Those Christians, they love each other so much. So rather than asking why, I want to look at how. What can we do? And I want to just suggest three very practical things. First thing, let's use our gifts. This whole area of spiritual gifts actually comes straight out of the passage, um, going back to our first reading, 1 Corinthians 12. Because that is the, the context, really. That is what Paul is addressing on the surface, but I believe underneath the surface, there is the whole issue of unity. But on the surface, when, it, when he talks about the eye and the ear, he means people with different gifts. So I'm just going to read a few verses which come just before our first reading to give a bit of context. Paul writes this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, and so on. And he enlists a whole lot of gifts. Now the shared Holy Spirit, which makes us the church, does not just invite us to be spectators and to sit back and to just watch. No, but rather he invites us to get involved and to bring what we have, what God gave us. So it's not just about consuming what we've just said earlier. It's not a vending machine. Many Bible commentators say that when Paul lists the spiritual gifts, then it is not an extensive list. Yes, there are very prominent ones which come up again and again. But there are also others which are not listed but can clearly be used for the glory of God and the building up of the body. So for the sake of us here tonight talking about how we can be committed to one another... Let's extend it to all the gifts that we can bring for God's glory and to build one another up. Has anyone here ever done Secret Santa? Almost everybody. (laughs) There are different ways of doing it, but how we did it back home in Germany is that everyone comes with a gift, and then you play a random game with a dice, and then eventually everyone leaves with a gift, and ideally it's not the one that you brought. That's how it works. Now, I want you to imagine that you came here tonight to St. Michael's, and we did Secret Santa. Imagine you have a present in front of you right now, and it is for someone else here in the room. Or even better, it's for anyone and everyone in the room. Now, I know this is just an illustration, but actually, it's not too far from what the New Testament teaches about spiritual gifts. They are for the common good, and we each have one to bring. We are uniquely gifted and called to use those gifts. Going back to our first reading, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 17, we read this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Let me ask you some questions, Um, and if some of those resonate with you or challenge you, you might just want to write them down on your handouts or the answer if you know it. Do you really believe that you have a gift to bring? If so, then 
What is your gift? Do you know that? Are you using it? If any of those questions resonates with you or challenges you, why not just write it down and think about it in the next week? So on behalf of all of us, let me say that we need your gift. We need it. It's how you can be committed to us. There's two more things that I want to say about how we can grow in our commitment to one another. The next one is very practical. Let's be reliable, I called, I called it. But actually it's about committing to regular attendance and being punctual. It's very practical, but no less important. If you are part of this church and you are not here, basically someone is missing. There's a part of the body that is missing when you're not here. And besides you, yourself engaging with God and being fed on behalf of the rest of us, let me say that your voice matters when we sing. And your voice matters when we say amen at the end of a prayer. Your voice matters when we say the creed, because it encourages the rest of us. Even your nodding head or your shaking head matters to the preacher, and it's very encouraging. <laughs> it means that we're actually talking to someone, and we're, this is actually real. Even just the very fact that you have chosen to show up here tonight, that you have chosen to be here, it's an enormous encouragement to the rest of us. So let's hear that individually. Thank you. And I know that the people that really need to hear it are not here. <laughs> But let me also use this opportunity to encourage us to be punctual. Um, I know I'm, I'm saying this with a lot of grace and with a lot of love. But um, if we are coming late without a real reason, then what we are essentially saying or how it can come across is, my time is actually a little bit more important than your time. You may have chosen to be on time, but not for me. Now, you might think, oh, I would never think that. That sounds so aggressive. That's not actually the truth. But we need to remember that others can't see our good intentions. They only see our actions. It's like that saying that goes, we judge others by their actions, but ourselves we prefer to be judged by our good intentions. So let's honor one another by saying, do you know what? If you come on time, I come on time. Obviously, there are times where we just can't help it. There's traffic, the kids are being terrible or whatever. We're just late, and that's okay. But let's try and make it a priority anyway. And not because so that we might look good, look at me, I'm on time, but so that others can be encouraged. Guys, the first song matters. <laughs> let's be there for it. Let's be ready. Lastly then, how we can be committed to one another. Let's know each other's needs. Let's communicate them. Have you ever asked people in this church or in your home group, what do you need from me as your fellow believer, your friend, and your fellow body part, so that you can grow in your faith and become a better disciple? We actually did this in our home group a few weeks ago, and I found it so powerful. I realized, for example, that I find it really helpful and, and encouraging when other people are professing their faith and saying, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. That really just builds me up. Other people have said, um, I find it uh, helpful when you challenge me about the amount of people I've shared Jesus with this week. And I thought, wow. <laughs> for other people, that would be crushing. But for you, that's really what you need from me. And so do we know that about each other? It's important if we want to be committed to one another. So let me ask you this. What do you need from others? Whom could you tell? When are you going to do it? 
Because if we don't ever say it, how can others know and meet that need? It's something that I'm also learning as a recently married guy. If I don't ever say what's going on, then how can she know, right? It's, it's tough to learn. I'm trying. <laughs> All right, there are obviously loads of other ways of how we can be committed to one another. I haven't even mentioned the love languages yet. But these three maybe can just get us started. Let's use our gifts for the common good. Let's be reliable in our attendance. Let's communicate to others how they can help us. So, um, coming to a close then, I want to just very briefly share about the joy of commitment. And this last point is really just um, a bit of personal testimony from something that I've experienced about this, um, being part of the body of Christ and the joy that that can bring. As we've already said, we're so grateful for our friends from St. Barnabas who chose to be here tonight. Thank you for coming. It's really great. Um, for a few years now, we've been partnering with those guys uh, for their holiday club, which happens in August. Um, it's basically one week in August where loads of children can come to the church, have loads of fun, and hear about Jesus, um, hear some Bible stories. And I helped out at the holiday club this year for a few days, but I'm afraid I have a confession to make as well. It got to a few days before holiday club, and I just wasn't up for it anymore. I thought, oh, why did you say yes to this? Here are some of the thoughts that went to my grumpy mind. It's so far away. <laughs> it's on the other side of town. How do I even get there from Wandsworth to Hackney? There are all these little kids. They're so loud, annoying, stressful. And Clive wants me to do this theme song, get everyone really into it, and I'm just going to make a fool of myself. And also, everyone is slightly different. There's different cultures. They have a different way of doing church. And so here I was just feeling sorry about myself in my own comfort zone, not wanting to get out of it. Maybe you know that sometimes about yourself as well. Thoughts like that. I'm not really needed tonight. I'm just going to stay at home. I don't, really, I don't really feel it tonight. The weather's too bad to go to church, or the weather's too good to sit in church. Well, let me just briefly tell you what happened that week at St. Barnabas Holiday Club. Because the great thing is that St. Barnabas has been given the same spirit that we have. And so they are also part of the body. We are the same body on a global scale as well as on a local scale. We have the same head, Jesus. And so I experienced in that week the joy of different members of the church working together with a common goal, seeking to serve its common head, Jesus, sharing in the same mission that we all have. There was also a young family there from Ireland, which I've never met, uh, and they're not part of St. Michael's or St. Barnabas. Um, and that was great. It literally just took two minutes of meeting them, talking to them, of realizing that we are completely part of the same body here, part of the same family, looking at the same goal. And so it was a great week. There was a fresh sense of boldness, creativity, belonging, connectedness. Some other highlights were Sylvia's testimony uh, or Emily capturing an audience with the Bible story or Ian being the villain in, in, the, in the Bible story. It was, it was great. A really joyful experience of being the body doing that together and so I'm going to conclude 
um, by just saying, let's remember who it is that brings us together. It is God by his Holy Spirit. By his Spirit, we are made into the body of Christ. That is who we are as the church. And so our commitment to one another must come from an understanding that by the Holy Spirit we are one. We are a body in which each part leads the other. And so let us constantly be filled with that Spirit. Let's be used by the Spirit to love each other and to build one another up with our gifts, with our time, and with our commitment to one another. I'm going to close by just reading a few verses from Ephesians 4, verse 3. And then we're going to share the peace with one another. Paul writes this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the joy that it is to be part of your family. Thank you that that goes beyond boundaries and and countries and cultures, divisions. You call us to be one. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be better at being a unified body. Help us to not split up into our little groups of where we all agree, but help us to see what we have in common and help us to reach out more and more to your Spirit. Would you have your way in your church, locally, globally? Have your way, Lord. And help us to be committed to you, to one another. Amen.